Welcome to How I Work, a show about the tactics used by leading innovators to get so much out of their day. I'm your host, Dr. Amantha Imber. I'm an organizational psychologist, the CEO of Inventium, and I'm obsessed with finding ways to optimize my workday. For today's show, I wanted to try something new as a few themes have started to emerge now that I've interviewed a dozen or so people. And one of the things that everyone I've interviewed so far has in common is that they have literally hundreds of people making requests on their time every week to make sure that they don't spend their lives just reacting to other people's stuff and prioritize their own goals. I found that a lot of people that I've spoken to have very deliberate strategies for deciding what to say no to. And they've also got strategies for how to make saying no a little bit easier. I know that for me, getting better at saying no has been a really big learning curve. I get quite a lot of requests from all sorts of people wanting to have a coffee or pick my brain in inverted commas or speak at an event. And I used to say yes to most things or feel guilty if I did say no. But this year, I've actually switched things around and I have the answer is no as my default answer. And unless for me something is a hell yes, I generally politely decline. I've also stopped having coffees with people who want to pick my brain because they became such a time suck last year and just made me feel frustrated with the lack of progress I was making on projects that matter to me. Now, first up in today's episode, we have Adam Grant. Adam is a psychology professor at Wharton and the author of best-selling books such as Give and Take, Originals and Option B. As you can probably imagine, Adam gets a lot of requests made for his time. And in this conversation, he talks about how he decides whether to say yes or whether to say no. Oh, I don't know. I feel like I'm struggling <laughs> through this the same way that everyone else is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what has been most helpful to me, though. I think, you know, I, I used to try to say yes to everyone and to everything. Mm. And I, I just found that that was impossible as you know, as I got busier, as my profile, you know, got I guess got raised outside the ivory tower, I, I just didn't have enough hours in the day to field all the requests that were coming in, and so I ended up coming out with a, a bunch of heuristics that more or less mirrored what I've studied when I've when I've looked at the differences between you know people who are what I've called successful givers who are productively generous uh, and failed givers who are too selfless and and end up burning out. Or getting burned by the takers who have, <laughs> they have the misfortune of dealing with. Mm. Uh, there, there are a few kinds of choices that really matter. The first one is is to be thoughtful about who you help. And so for me, that's that's meant that I have a hierarchy of of people that I'm trying to support, and it's family first, students second, colleagues third, everyone else fourth. And at, at some point, I realized that friends were not in that list. <laughs> I felt really bad about it, but then I realized, you know what? Like I, I actually, my, my goal in a friendship is not to be, you know, helping the person. It's to be, you know, to be a friend. And that may involve lots of different things. And, you know, I'll, I'll fit them in wherever. But uh, the other the other categories, it was it was important for me to be clear, because when a request comes in, I, I know that I'm not going to be equally generous to everyone. And so I had to realize, you know what, I'm OK with the fact that my colleagues may well think that I'm less generous than my students do. Because I just did not become a professor to try to inspire other professors, <laughs> right? I became a professor because I wanted to have an impact on students the same way that, you know, that I was really influenced by, you know, by the, the great teachers that I'd had. 
And I, w- I wanted to try to pay that forward. And so, you know, when, when a request comes in, I just kind of go through that list and it depends on how much I have in the day. And it was so important to put family first there because, you know, it's easy to say, well, you know, my, there's, you know, there, there are lots of requests that come in work-wise that are urgent. And, you know, you, you also you know, are able to gain status and build connections by helping people. And, you know, the, some of the family stuff is sometimes less exciting mm-hmm. uh, if, if you're changing diapers, for example. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when, when I took a step back and, and thought about my values, I, I knew that it was most important to me to be, you know, to be showing up for my family first and foremost. So, uh, that I found really helpful. And then the other choices are about how you help and when you help. And, you know, that that basically breaks down to saying, look, I want to help when I can add unique value and when it does not detract from my energy or my ability to get my own work done. And so what I tried to do was break down all the different ways that I was I was trying to say yes to people and figure out which ones I enjoyed and excelled at. And, you know, if, if people were asking for help in domains where I didn't feel like I had a unique contribution to make or it was exhausting me, I knew that over time that meant I was going to have less impact. And so for me, that, that's been kind of zooming in on two things. One is knowledge sharing. Uh, there's, there's almost nothing that brightens my inbox more than somebody reaching out and saying, yeah, I had this question about, you know, something related to work psychology. Like, has anybody ever studied fill in the blank? <laughs> And I'm like, yes, there's a chance to take all that esoteric information that I'm collecting from academic journals and share it with somebody who might be curious about it or who can apply it in some way. And so that that's always a treat. And I feel like there aren't that many people who, you know, kind of who where that's the way that they help. And then the other is I really love making introductions, provided that they're mutually beneficial. And so, you know, I feel like I, by virtue of the the kind of work that I do, I get to interact with lots of different industries and kinds of people. And it's just really fun to to connect the dots between two people who could help each other and or who could create something really meaningful together. And so I've tried to focus on those requests. And that means that when somebody reaches out and it's not in one of those buckets, uh, I'll let them know that, you know, their request is not in my wheelhouse. But if I could be helpful by sharing knowledge or by making an introduction, then, you know, I'd be happy to do that. What I really like about Adam's approach is that he's given a lot of thought as to what he is uniquely placed to contribute to when a request is made on his time. Personally, I've taken this strategy into my own life to think about where I can add the most value and where the value that I can add, on the other hand, is on par or less than what others could add when I'm weighing up different requests on my time. So, for example, I get quite a few organizational psychology students contacting me for career advice because I'm an organizational psychologist. Um, But the thing is, I'm one of many organizational psychologists in Australia. So, I now say no to this request because being an org psych doesn't make me particularly unique. But then something I do try to say yes to are media requests and conversations with other CEOs about my company's unlimited paid leave policy. So in Australia, my company Inventium was the first company and still only one of a handful to offer this kind of policy to staff, which I think puts me in a unique position to talk about it and some of the keys to making policies like that work. Now, the next person for this episode I've included is Mia Friedman. Mia Friedman is the co-founder and creative director of the Mamma Mia Women's Network, Australia's largest digital women's media company. 
They reach 4 million women per month and also have the world's largest women's podcast network with eight shows that reach millions of women. This conversation with Mia starts by her describing how she became really good at saying no. I'm very good at saying no. Uh, I used to Were be, you always good no, at saying no? I used to be very bad at it. Like most women, I wanted people to like me and I wanted to not disappoint anybody. Mm. And so what I would do is because I would not want to have – I would not want to make someone feel bad for the 10 seconds that it would take them to read that I was turning down whatever they wanted me to do, I would say, okay, just to put that off. But then what I would do is buy a whole problem for future me, which was oh, I've promised to – go to Brisbane or do this or go somewhere after work and then that time would come around and I would really, really, really not want to do it and it would really, um, you know, take a toll on me or my family or whatever it is. And what I found really helped is having um, having rules and not saying I can't but saying I don't. Mm-hmm. So it's it sounds really subtle but it's really uh, relevant. So like – I have a thing, I don't do black tie functions. Mm. So I don't do balls, I don't do dinners, I don't do, you know, I don't do lunches. I don't do lunches during the week. Mm. Uh, What else? I don't do um, premieres. Mm. I don't do um, uh, speaking engagements or charity things on weekends. So once you have those don'ts, it takes the should I, should I not? And that's even – I find that those kind of hard and fast rules help so much in all aspects of life. So I I exercise every day because that's easier than exercising two or three times a week. It's less mental stress on me because it's just a non-negotiable. It's like cleaning Mm. your teeth. Mm. Imagine if you went – you only have to clean your teeth two or three days a week Mm. and then every (laughs) night you'd go – should have been tonight. Oh, I don't know. But then tomorrow night I'm going to be tired because I've got to go to that thing. And I don't know. But instead you just do it every, you know, that part of your brain doesn't have to think, should I brush my teeth tonight or not? Because you brush Mm. your teeth every day. Mm. Same Mm. with having a shower. Same with any habit that you have. I'm one of those people that needs to do it, needs hard and fast rules. Yeah. Otherwise I find myself negotiating with myself and Mm. that's exhausting. So Obama, when he was in office, wore the same, he had, Mm. 10 versions of the same blue suit and he wore it every day because he said that's one less decision I have to make every day and it frees up my mind to make other decisions. Absolutely. Decision fatigue is such a big thing. And if we can reduce the decisions that we're making, then we're going to make better quality decisions. Absolutely. And it's interesting what you say about don't and can't. I I read some research about that recently where they had a group of people that said I – can't eat unhealthy food, for example. And then there was another group that said, I don't eat unhealthy food. And in this experiment, they were then offered a snack as they were leaving. One was healthy, one was unhealthy. And those that said, I don't eat unhealthy food, just even to themselves, were 50% um, more likely to get the healthy snack. So, it's And people a- won't argue with you. When you say, mm. I don't, I'm so sorry, I don't do lunches, then that's very clear. It's yes. like, I can't have lunch on Tuesday. What about Wednesday? Oh, what about, you know, what? and it's like, how about never is never good for you? Uh, and it's a clear line in the sound. And the other thing I do is that I'm just very honest. And so I say, thanks so much for the invitation, but the demands of running a business and um, having a young family means that I just can't do anything except those two things. Mm-hmm. And and no one will what, – what I find, people are incredibly um, appreciative if you respond quickly because mm. what most people do is go, oh, I don't want to disappoint them, so I just will just ignore that. 
Mm. And they might, they don't mind a no. I mean, they'd prefer a yes, but they'll deal with a no. But the, it's always, thank you so much for getting back to me quickly. Mm. At least I know I can move on now. Yeah. And no one can argue when you say work and family. No one can go, oh, but please. But I, I was listening to an interview with Oprah actually on Gwyneth Paltrow's podcast Goop. And Oprah was saying, talking about saying no. And she said, you know, people will become insistent and she said first they'll say to you oh but it's for the children and she's like well that don't try to manipulate me and then she said finally she'll just say are you not hearing my no and I was like oh that's interesting I don't I don't tend to find that I tend to find people are are pretty respectful and and generally just just like an answer but I say yes to a lot as well um but I have to be uh, conscious that my time and my energy is a finite resource and who and what are my priorities. I really like how Mia has hard and fast rules for saying no. And this is something I've tried to implement in my own life, which has definitely saved my decision-making power on numerous occasions. So as I said earlier, I say a blanket no to people who want to pick my brain over coffee. And because I get quite a few of these requests every week, this saves me so much brain power because I don't have to have this internal tug of war about whether or not I should or shouldn't say yes. And it also gets rid of the guilt that I used to feel for saying no to these types of requests because it's not personal. It's just a blanket no. It's something that I don't do. I now want to move on to Rachel Botsman. Rachel is a world-renowned expert on technology and trust and the author of best-selling books, Who Can You Trust? and What's Mine is Yours. She's also a lecturer at Oxford University and has been recognised as one of the most creative people in business by Fast Company and as one of the 50 most influential management thinkers in the world. Here is Rachel talking about how she decides whether to say yes or whether to say no. It's funny, um, it's one of my goals um, I've been working on this year. Um, not saying no, but finding myself less in situations where I'm like, why did I say yes? Um, to be honest, when there's an email that's, can I pick your brain? <laughs> or um, it's really, really long. Um, I get a lot of requests from students doing masters or dissertations that aren't part of the course that I teach that you have to say no to. And I always try and direct them to a resource. I always try and close the loop and be helpful. Um, you also get a sense, I'm getting a better sense when someone's quite hard to shut down and then being more comfortable that you don't have to be the person to reply. So you put that on someone on your team. But um, the thing that I've really started to ask myself is what is the intentions of this person or why are they asking me to write this piece why are they asking me to do this interview and if there's an alignment so you really believe in what this person's doing and you think it's good for your work and you think it's interesting then you consider it um does that make sense so I think sometimes you're like Oh, can you get, can you write a piece for The Guardian? Okay. And you're like, oh, yeah, you know, New York Times, we should totally do that. But then, you know, they, a really good example is they might be pushing for an op ed on Facebook that's completely contrary to your opinion. And you get halfway through and you're battling with the editor and you're thinking, well, why didn't I ask them where they were coming from? Because then you have to abandon ship midway through. 
So um, being okay, just saying no to people that really actually don't value your time because they're just saying pick your brain. Um, finding a way to help people when they shut them down and also making a no, a clean no. How do you do that? Um, so often it's better when it doesn't come from me. Um, she's just not available for no reason. Mm-hmm. Yep. So this would be your assistant? Doing yeah. That? yeah. Um, spe- mm. Especially with speaking requests because if you say something, like even something like, I'm really sorry she can't attend, well, what does that, why? <laughs> or like mm-hmm. if we sweeten the deal, was she, you know, and then you have to ask yourself, you know, if they come back and they said X and then they double the amount, you've put yourself in a very tricky situation because then you, you've said no and then you're showing, well, money can actually change that, which is not good for anyone. Um, then really, you know, the other thing on the calendar is um, like absolute no-go days. Um kids first day of school like but all these things it doesn't matter what it is it's different for different people no go days are no go days and sometimes you have to invent a no go day <laughs> you know like if someone doesn't really if it's a really tricky no yeah I'm really sorry but one of the kids is the lead in a play <laughs> I like what Rachel says about saying a clean no because I think it's often the harder option to do this Messy no's I find it easy because they feel like the more polite option. Like for me, a messy no might be to say, I can't help right now, but feel free to get in touch in a few months when really I'm just hoping that the person will forget to get back in touch in a few months time. So what I should have done in these circumstances is just say no. The next person that I want to go to is Sarah Green Carmichael. Sarah is an executive editor at Harvard Business Review, where she works out what to publish on the site and edits the articles that you might have read there. Sarah is also the host of HBR's IdeaCast podcast, which gets over 1 million downloads every month. In this clip, Sarah talks about how she says no regarding a very specific part of her job, which is rejecting submissions to HBR. One of the things that I often procrastinate is evaluating new pitches of new ideas for HBR because um, anytime I'm evaluating new pitches, it means I will have to sit down and write rejections. And writing rejection letters is my least favorite thing to do. So I just have an hour on my calendar every week that's just for writing rejections so that I can just sit down and just get it done and make myself do it and just move on. Have you mastered the art of of writing like a, a polite or nice rejection letter? I try. I try. I try to always be brief, clear, and to give a reason. Because I think, you know, you don't really need to, like, belabor it most of the time. Uh, People are just sort of looking for a yes or no answer. Um, But I always try to say, you know, thank you for sharing this idea with me. I'm so glad you thought of HBR. And then this isn't going to work. We've already covered it. Or, you know, this just isn't quite the right fit for our audience. I try to give some reason, even if it's not detailed feedback, and then just sort of thank them again. But I always try to keep in mind that, um, you know, people can forward these emails to anyone, you know, once I send that email, it's like out there in the world. So not only do I want the people reading it to have an okay experience, given that they're being rejected, uh, I also try to keep in mind, even if there are times when I might be tempted to send a kind of stroppy email or sort of flaming kind of 
oh, I can't believe you sent this to me. Cause like we all have bad days. <laughs> We're all tempted sometimes to do that. Um, I, I think, do I want to, do I want this to end up on like Buzzfeed, <laughs> you know? And, and like, no, I don't. I want to treat people kindly and with compassion. I think this is kind of similar to what Rachel said about the clean no. And I like how Sarah emphasizes that no's can be brief. And in fact, that this is often more effective. I used to feel that when I would email someone back a no for a particular request that I'd have to write a whole novel justifying my no. But these days, I just keep it short and sweet. And so far, that's been fine as as far as I know. The final conversation I want to share in this episode is with Nancy Duarte. Nancy's firm, Duarte, is the largest design firm in Silicon Valley. They help very big and famous companies and people from Apple through to Al Gore design and deliver great presentations. Nancy's also written several books about storytelling and presentations, including the Harvard Business Review Guide to Creating Persuasive Presentations. In this final clip, Nancy talks about her tricks for saying no politely. The conversation starts with me asking Nancy how she decides what to say yes to versus what to say no to. Well, what's funny is for a long time, it was based solely on what had the most leverage. So speaking gigs would be based on the size of the audience. But then it became, well, I got, you know, you get leverage. It's like, well, it's the size of the audience. And is it an audience that is it the right audience to maybe bring work into the firm? So I start, you know, then my filter got tighter and tighter. Or um, I do get a lot. I, I, uh, every email I get that has an unsubscribe gets unsubscribed from. My assistant <laughs> helps with that. Um, I also um, have, um, <laughs> I, ha- I have a, a lot of people that want my time. And so I, let me think about this. It's a good question. I do have this mechanism with my assistant where I have three salutations. <laughs> One of the salutations is mm, do not let them get on. I can be enthusiastic. Oh my God, this is great. Oh my God, this would be fantastic. And then if I use the salutation, it means no way. No way, let them on my calendar. You know, so I have different side. And this one is another one is um, I'm, I'm interested, but schedule it in um, when it's best. So she knows I have a certain capacity for outside you know, activities. And then the other one is I, if I do it another certain way, it's like make this as immediate as possible. Um, so that's how I tell her, but I've not had anyone ask how I filter them out. Um, um, and sometimes it's like, sometimes, you know, I filtered someone out and then when they reached out again or when I met them socially, I realized there was a very, very famous venture capitalist <laughs> and he became famous. I, he was reaching out to me when he was just a wee pup of wealth. He, he wasn't a billionaire yet. He was just a millionaire. <laughs> and I kept filtering him out. He's tenacious, tenacious, tenacious. And I'm like, filtered out, filtered out. Right. And, um, I met him at a, and then he threw a big swanky party and I didn't know it. And I'm like, ah, well, no, I went to uh, a party, but I didn't realize it was at his place. I didn't know it was at his, <laughs> I showed up and I realized how everyone was worshiping this guy, <laughs> just worshiping. And when I met it and went to introduce myself, he's like, you blew me off. Like he just, you know, <laughs> chewed me out. I didn't, I didn't, you know, so I have filtered out maybe the wrong and he and I are friends now, but, um, it's just hard. It's just hard. I don't know how other people do it. And it's disappointing that I can't meet everyone, but um, I'm protected and I'm, I'm healthier that way, I think. Mm. How do, do you have strategies for saying no? And I got to say, I'm, I'm loving the, the code language that you use with your assistant. That's wonderful. <laughs> um, 
But how, how do you so, say no? Like <laughs> that I do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's how I, that's a lot of times how I say no. Uh. I, I, you have to be, I am generous. Like one of our values at Duarte is to be generous experts. And I do think you can be you could put yourself into what I would call almost like altruistic danger because you're so kind, you know? And so that is one of the ways that I say no is through the salutation to my, to the, not the salutation, but the, um, I guess it's a salutation at the mm-hmm. end of an email, how I address my goodbye to the person. <laughs> um, that's how most of it's done. Um, others, I, uh, others, I, I just, I have to say no to, um, this isn't, I adore it. This is amazing. Cause I get a lot of requests for money, for contributions. Can we donate workshops? Can we, you know, and I, I try to accommodate as many as I can if it doesn't have, you know, financial harm. Um, but I flip it, I'll copy someone on my team on it so that they either say yes or no and can decide if it's a match. Um, or if it's just not of interest, I just say, ah, oh, I just really can't, um, at this time. Um, I get a lot of asks to do blurbs for books. And if I'm close and I know the person, I'll look at the book. I have a stack of about 12 of them I, I need wow. to really read. So I, um, I'll i just say, you know, I admire you. Send me the book. Let me just flip through it versus read it. And then oh, let's co-create a blurb. You take a pass. I'll, it's just mm-hmm. things you do to, act, to buy time. I do a lot of things to buy time. Um, I say I, I can say I only do that, though, when I'm on a deadline. I love the fact that Nancy has her different codes with her EA. I, I think that the idea of having some kind of gatekeeper like that can be very helpful in making it easier to say no. So I think, though, that you, if you're listening to this and you don't have your own EA, it can be worth thinking about whether there is someone at your work or in your life that could play this gatekeeper role for you. So that brings us to the end of this first mixtape-like episode. I'd love to hear what you thought. And if you'd like more of these episodes where I delve into a particular theme, my email address is always in the show notes if you want to send through any kind of feedback. And finally, before you skip over to another podcast, I have a little favour to ask. It's great getting feedback from listeners such as yourself. So I would be so appreciative if you could give this podcast a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button so that you can be alerted when new episodes are released. See you next time.